I've been in ministry for 18 years. In that time, I've been a youth pastor, a college small group leader, an FCA huddle coach, and a lead pastor. Just over five years ago, Tina, or God called Tina and I to be senior pastors. And then just a little bit over three years ago, God called us to be pastors here at MFA, and some of you guys were here. Three years ago and three months, the advisory team pulled the church to see if they wanted me to be pastor. It was a pretty nerve-wracking process, and after what seemed like an eternity, I remember getting a phone call from Chet letting me know that they wanted Tina and I as pastors. Um, One thing that I did know is after they pulled everybody is that there were people that didn't want us here for whatever reason. See, we started out in ministry, as most pastors do, knowing that there were people that were not interested in following me or accepting change. You see, throughout my ministry career, um, do you know what the biggest criticism I've heard? The number one reason that people have had against me was because I was too young. Think about it. When I was 18 and I was a youth pastor, I was some of my youth's age. What what parent who loves their kids trusts an 18-year-old with their kids? Not many. Listen, don't get me wrong. I didn't think I was too young. They thought I was too young. See, the reality is I'm not really sure what the right age is to be a pastor But apparently, whatever it was, I wasn't there. I had people say, how can someone as as young as you are have a clue about how to pastor kids who are your age? How can you have a clue how to pastor people who are older than you? I've heard things like, you're too young to be my pastor. Um, In a previous church, I had someone who left because I was new to the ministry And they were seasoned. Now, I'm pretty sure after 18 years, you're no longer considered new to anything. Now, I was 33 years old when I started pastoring here. Not 23, not 13, but 33. I wasn't a teenager. I was 33 years old. Listen, I was the same age as Jesus when Jesus died on the cross. You see, I tried to not take the age comment too personally, but it always intrigued me. I wonder what age qualifies someone for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What age do you have to be to answer yes to God's assignment? How old do you have to be for God to use you? Is there a right age to lead? And if there is, who determines what that age is? And if there's a too young category, then there also has to be a too old category. And so who determines that you're no longer useful? Today I want to look at a story in the Bible that, that flies in the face of that you're too young to lead crowd. See, there are some powerful lessons to learn from a young man's rise to leadership and accomplishments as king. My hope is that this story will help you see things in a different way and perhaps even reconsider your perspective on whom God uses. 
We pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. Josiah's grandfather Manasseh was an evil king. And in in fact, the Bible says that Manasseh did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. You see, under Manasseh's rule, the nation built altars to Baal and Asherah poles, and they erected to honor the goddess Asherah. There was also worship of the stars and the planets. But you see, the evil went far beyond that. People actually sacrificed children to Melech, another one of their gods, and they killed captives as an act of worship. See, the people were evil and they were wicked. Now, Josiah's father, King Amon, was also an evil king who worshiped and offered sacrifices to other gods. Josiah's father was assassinated by members of his royal court, and then the people of the nation killed the guys who assassinated Josiah's father, and he made Josiah an eight-year-old boy king. Eight years old. Listen, to put it in perspective, my son Josiah is eight years old. That would be like if, if church members killed me, And then you guys would then kill those people and then put my son Josiah in as pastor of the church. You see, Josiah in the Bible was king at the age of eight until his death at the age of 39. But you see, in spite of the evil example of his grandfather and his father and his father's violent death, any of which could have affected Josiah in a negative way, Josiah became one of Judah's greatest kings. And even though he grew up in the midst of great evil, he was enabled by God to stop beyond that evil, to break the family cycle of godless leadership, and to lead the nation back to the Lord. Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. Now, something inside 16-year-old Josiah gave him the strength and the wisdom to do what was right. And from an early age, Josiah rejected evil and turned to the Lord. You see, in his, in his 12th year, when he had turned just 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, and carved idols and cast images. Now, to understand this, we've got to go back and learn a little bit of the history. The high places were created by pagan nations that inhabited the land. They were dedicated to worshiping the idols and the gods and carry out the practices of those false religions. They were called high places because these cultic places of worship were most often located on natural heights or hills where where there were idols, there were Asherah poles, and stone pillars symbolizing the gods. You see, horrible atrocities occurred at the high places as people worshipped their gods. Captives and young children were frequently thrown down from the high places so that they were split open or dashed to pieces on the rocks below. Pregnant women were ripped open. And in all, six activities occurred in the high places. 
burning of incense, sacrificing, eating of sacrifice, sacrificial meals, prostitution, illicit sex, and child sacrifice. It was a place of, of human sacrifice, demonic activity, and overt sin. See, worship at these places was a high point of evil. Now, evil is not new. We think that today's world is worse than ever before, and that's because we've only lived here at this point of time. But while it's the worst that we've ever seen, it's not the worst that it's ever been, not by a long shot. Think back to when Nero was the emperor of Rome. Christians were burned at the stake to provide light for his parties. In Josiah's time, innocent babies were thrown from high places as sacrifices to evil gods. You see, evil has always been present in the world. But let me give you a balance point. Just because times have been worse doesn't mean that things are good now. We live in evil times. While child sacrifice is illegal, innocent children are sacrificed and killed every single day by abortion. An article in the December 2018 edition of the AMA Journal of Ethics stated 22.8 million U.S. women confronted unintended pregnancy in 2011, and 42% of them chose to terminate those pregnancies. If the low 2014 abortion rate holds steady, one in four American women will have had an abortion by menopause. Now, listen, if you've had an abortion, I want you to know that the Lord forgives you and so do we. Listen, we're not going to treat you with, with anger or insults. We're going to love you. We're going to pray for you. And we'll walk through the healing journey with you. You see, we must never forget that behind every issue is individuals with real hurt and real pain. May God for, forgive us when our anger over an issue sends the wrong message to the individual from the only place that they can receive help and hope. See, our world is evil. Abortion is common. Addiction is epidemic. Sexual choices that violate God's commands are not only accepted, they're honored. Prejudice, hate, and division have infiltrated every part of society, and unfortunately, sometimes even the church. You see, our nation needs revival. Israel was commanded by God to destroy the high places, but until this time, they didn't do it. Sometimes they substituted worshiping idols for worshiping God, and then other times they, they worshiped both. You see, a long list of kings ignored God's instructions and allowed the high places to remain until finally God elevated an eight-year-old boy to be king. Under his direction, the altars of the bells were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them, and he smashed the Asherah poles, the idols, and the images. Then he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those humans who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests of their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. 
in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And then he went back to Jerusalem. You see, Josiah slaughtered the priests of the high places, and he burned their bones on the pagan altars. Now listen, that seems pretty extreme, but remember, this was before grace. You see, that was how evil was dealt with before Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. There was judgment and not grace. And King Josiah smashed the sacred stones, he cut down the poles, and he removed the idols, the, the altars of the idol worship in every single town. Josiah didn't just destroy the high places. He removed any evidence that they ever even existed. You see, even the kings before him who followed God didn't destroy the high places. They didn't want to anger the people by tearing, down, tearing them down, and so they left them just in case. And so along came Josiah, who was willing to do what others wouldn't. The high places were elevated and they were visible. You see, everyone in the kingdom knew what was happening. Josiah was sending a message. It was time for a radical change and a return to worshiping the one true God. He destroyed the high places so that idol worship was no longer an option. Listen, I believe that we can learn from Josiah because you cannot allow evil to remain and expect God's presence and his blessing. Listen, it can be unpopular to address evil. It certainly makes people uncomfortable, but evil must be confronted. Now, before you get worked up and you're like, yes, I'm going to go make an evil rant on Facebook, don't do that. It's worthless. Nobody changes because of a post on Facebook. Listen, you may not have pagan altars, child sacrifice, and, and idol worship. But you've got some high places. You have areas in your life that you've allowed to remain in spite of knowing that they displease God. Your high places might be something you watch, something you listen to, something you say, or something you do. It might be an attitude or an action. It might be a friend that you're unwilling to walk away from. It might be a cell phone number that you refuse to change or contacts that you're not willing to delete. Listen, you may not currently practice sin, but you haven't completely destroyed its influence in your life. And for whatever reason, you've left options open just in case. You see, your high place is that part of your life that you allow to remain, even though you know it isn't God-pleasing. Listen to me, church. You have to eliminate options to return to evil. Change your cell phone number. Quit hanging out with people who lead you to do wrong. Move to another city if you have to. Cancel HBO or Netflix. Change schools. Find a new job. Listen, if you're addicted to gossip, delete Facebook. I've got a friend who is addicted to pornography, and you know what he did? He got rid of his smartphone. 
He got rid of his smartphone. Why? Because what was he doing at night? Looking at stuff he shouldn't have been. Listen, he didn't didn't just put it on a shelf or lock it in a drawer. He threw it in the trash. And then he got a flip phone. Now, for you younger students in here, a flip phone is an old phone that we used to have that opened up. And all you could do was make phone calls on it. Antiquated technology, I know. Listen, he wisely chose to eliminate options to return to what was destroying him. You see, if someone says, my life has been destroyed by alcohol, I have to be free or it's going to kill me. I'm never going to touch it again. But then they don't pour all of it down the drain and get the bottles out of the house. You know their commitment's not real. If they still go to bars because I can handle it, you know that they're not going to stay sober. As long as the option is still there, one day temptation will be too strong. Listen, if you want to overcome evil, don't just eliminate sin from your life. Destroy anything that allows you to return to evil. Then in the eighth year of Josiah's reign, when he was 26 years old, to purify the land and the temple, he sent a bunch of people to repair the temple of the Lord his God. I'm not going to butcher all those names. You see, repairs were likely needed due to neglect and abuse while the nation was focused on worshiping idols instead of God. They built elaborate places of worship to idols while God's house fell into a state of disrepair. Josiah, the young king, rebuilt the temple. He was determined to honor God and restore his glory to the kingdom. Now, while the temple was being rebuilt, something very odd happened. One of the priests found the book of the law, which was Deuteronomy, and he brought it to the king. Now, we don't really know where the scriptures were found, but in those days it was common to bury a foundation box when a temple or a palace was built. See, this box was put in place so that they would always have an accurate record. It contained the original building plans and historical documents and important information um, that was kind of like a time capsule. And in this case, the box also contained a copy of the law that God had given to Moses. See, God's laws, the scriptures had been lost, but it probably wasn't an accidental thing. One historian wrote, not only had the reading and observance of the law been neglected in the preceding decades, but it's possible that Manasseh, that's Josiah's grandfather, even destroyed the existing copies that were in circulation throughout the land of Judah. You see, it's likely that Manasseh and Ammon, Josiah's grandfather and father, had destroyed every single copy of God's word because they didn't want anyone to read it or hear about God's laws because they weren't being followed. That's how far Israel had fallen. And you know that same attitude still exists today. People quit reading the Bible when they quit following its commands. You see, God's word is the unchanging standard of truth. See, there's something supernatural that happens when you read the words because they're not just words, they're God's words. Reading God's word is a way of encountering him. 
Of course people stop reading the Bible when they're sinning. Why? Because they don't want to encounter God. They don't want to be convicted. The Bible is our guidebook for living. It's filled with principles on relationships and managing money, avoiding temptation, healthy sexuality, dealing with conflict, and living a life that pleases God. It's not just a guidebook, it's a roadmap that points to eternal life in heaven. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Listen, when you are disobeying and ignoring God's commands, you don't want to feel guilty or convicted, and so you avoid the Bible. You avoid the church. You see, that's one reason why people get mad when I talk about money in church. They don't want to be reminded or feel convicted about their intentional disobedience. The attitude is, how dare you talk about a part of the Bible that I'm not willing to follow? Warren Wiersbe wrote, it seems remarkable that the book of the law should be lost in the temple. That would be like losing the Bible in a church building and not missing it for years. See, when the scroll of Scripture, God's law, was read to King Josiah, he wept because he knew that they hadn't been obeying God's commands. You see, King Josiah made the connection between the decision to ignore God's word and all of the bad things that were happening in the kingdom. He said, great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in the book. And then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his regulations and his decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. Now listen, that's the same challenge that I want to make to you Follow the example of the young King Josiah. Read the Bible. Study its principles and commands. Then make a commitment to follow God's directions with all of your heart and your soul and to obey his commands. You see, Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. Isn't that a remarkable story? A lot of you may not have ever heard it before. Josiah, who became king at the, at the age of eight years old, he led a national revival. You see, what king after king after king had failed to do, Josiah did. Evil was destroyed, and the nation turned back to God. What a powerful example that the anointing of God is not determined by age. 
Listen to me, church. God can use the youngest among us to lead us into his plan for our church, our city, our nation, and for our world. See, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Don't let anyone look down on you because, of your, because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given, which was given you through a prophetic message, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. This morning, I want to echo Paul's words to our young leaders. Listen, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. Set the example. Set the pace. Listen, those of us who are older are ready to follow you. To follow God's plan and, and God's leader. Listen, lead us and we'll follow. We commit that we won't respond to you the way that people responded to me. Listen, we're a diverse church, not just in, in race or color. We're also a multi-generational church, right? We've got great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and single adults and, and young adults and, and students and children worshiping and serving side by side. Now, that's a wonderful strength of our church, and that's how God's church is supposed to look. Generations worshiping together. But you see, it's also one of the challenges. As a multi-generational church, we must be willing to accept multi-generational leadership. Listen, every generation has a part to play. Listen, those of you who are younger, don't write those of us off who have gray hair. And listen, those of us who are a little bit older, let's celebrate that God is raising up a new generation that's passionate in worship, that's open-hearted, that's generous and is radically committed to him. You see, we must be open to the fact that, that God can raise up a Josiah among us who will confront evil and be used by God in a powerful way. See, if God did it once, God can do it again. My wife, I started at the age of 18 in youth ministry. Tina started at the age of 14 as a youth pastor. A lot of the kids in her youth group were older than she was, yet God raised her up. Now listen, if you're older, don't resent young leaders. Instead, realize that they represent the success of the church and your success in investing. Listen, we can trust them to lead us and this church into God's future. Now, can I just be honest with you? Young leaders may want to do some things differently. And it may make some of us older people a little bit nervous. And can I tell you what I'm thankful I've never heard here? Well, we've never done it that way. 
And you know what? Maybe we've never done it that way. But it'll be okay. Can I just be honest? None of us like change. Right? My generation loves to gripe about the older generation and how much they hate change. But the reality of it, you throw a big curveball into our lives and see how much we love change. We hate change too. Right? And, and the older that you become, the more and more you like routine and the same old thing and knowing what's predictable. See, those of us who are older have to be willing to do something a little bit different if we want the church to continue to thrive and move on. Listen, whether you're eight years old like King Josiah or you're 80 years old, know this. One person determined to be obedient, regardless of their age, can spark revival. Listen, we need revival in America. Are you ready to, lead, to follow someone who may be young? Listen, I f- challenge you to follow Josiah's pattern. I want you to listen to me and look at me. Some of your parents and grandparents were evil. See, there's a cycle in your family of dysfunction and evil relationships. Listen, you can break that cycle. You can. You don't have to be like your parents or your grandparents. You don't have to be like your uncles and your aunts. You can break that cycle. Listen, you can break your family's pattern of sin and and, and addiction. Just because they were doesn't mean that you have to be. You can break that. Listen, if Josiah, an eight-year-old boy, could break it after his grandfather and father did everything that they did, then you can. Listen, God has a new plan for you. It's a new plan. It's not the old plan that your family has followed. You can break that cycle. And with God's help, you can break the cycle. You can. And listen, it's not just some young people in here that need to break the cycle. There's some older adults in here that need to break the cycle for your family. Listen, you're going to break the cycle. In just a minute, I want to pray with you over that. Why? Because I believe that you're going to break the cycle and you're going to turn things around. You're going to be used to make a difference in your family. Listen, and listen close. Your past does not determine your future. I'm going to say that again. Your past does not determine your future. You can break the cycle. So you've got to reject and confront evil. Eliminate your options to return to evil. Don't go back. You've got to learn to follow God's word. You've got to live a new way. And you've got to lead revival. Listen, if you lead, we'll follow. You say, well, well, Jason, do you really believe that a kid could lead us? Josiah did. 
Listen, I do not believe that the anointing of God is wasted on the young. God has a plan for this church, and we have to be ready. Now, listen, some of you in here, you have a pattern, and you have a cycle in your family. Sometimes it makes you feel bad. You say things like, well, I'm just acting like my dad, or I'm acting like my mom, or I'm acting like my grandfather. Some of you have a family history of alcoholism, of abusive relationships, of a long history of dysfunction in your family. You say, Pastor Jason... I don't want to be like them. I want to break the cycle. For myself, for my kids, for my future kids, whoever it is. But today you'd simply say, Pastor Jason, I want to break the cycle. Would you just stand right where you are? If, if you would admit that in your life, you need to break the cycle that's been a pattern in your family. Would you just stand? And your question, you're going, well, what will people think? Listen, people already know. But we want to pray with you. Because can I just tell you, one of the hardest things you'll ever do is breaking a family cycle. Maybe in your family, that cycle's divorce. You've seen mom and dad get divorced time and time again. And you say, you know what? I don't want that to happen. I need God's strength to break the cycle. Would you bow your heads with me? You'd say, Pastor, I need God's help. There's a cycle or a pattern in, 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 in my family's life that I don't want to carry forward. I've got to do something about it. Because if I don't, no one else will. If that's you, there's nobody looking around. Would you just raise your hand? I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now listen, when Jesus died on the cross, the curse of sin was broken. Listen, sin no longer has control of you. You can be free and you can break the cycle and you're going to. Listen, we believe in you. Your church family believes in you. And all it takes today is to say, God, help me break this cycle in my family. Anyone else that hadn't raised their hand yet that'd say, Pastor, pray for me. God, I thank you for men and women that raised their hand. God, that have said that there is a, a cycle or a pattern 
in their life. God, for some it may be alcoholism, it may be abusive relationships or dysfunction, it may be divorce. God, whatever it is, God, we pray that you would break the cycle with them. God, we thank you that because of the cross and because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, God, it put an end to generational curses. But God, while we acknowledge that, Lord, we see patterns and cycles in our family's life today and we say, Lord, today we want it to be different. I want it to be different for my future. And so, God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you are willing to make things different in our lives. God, that because of the sacrifice that you made on the cross, we no longer have to fall into the cycle and the patterns of those before us. We can do something different because you paid that price. Help us to do what's right concerning you. Help us to read your word and follow your instructions so that at the end of the day, we look more like you than we did when we started. Lord, help us to hear your voice and to follow your plan and your will for our lives. Help us to be obedient to your leading and your prompting. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.